Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Welcome to an emergency podcast edition of the Battery Power Podcast, and this one is a fun one. Uh, My name is Sean Coleman. Hope wherever you are and wherever you are listening, you are having a great start to your evening, morning, whatever it may be. But hey, the, the reason that we're here, this required some fun folks to talk with. I'm being joined by Eric Cole, who you can find at Leprechaun on Twitter, as well as Stephen Tolbert, who you can find at B underscore Outliers. Eric, how are you this evening, sir? I'm doing well. Slow news day, uh, predictably. Uh, you know, we kind of we were making jokes in the chat that, you know, the uh, here Andrianto trade wasn't going to be exactly uh, emergency podcast worthy and um i guess the the braves got the memo on that and they want to make sure we podcast it tonight because we had some pretty exciting news today a- absolutely and mr tolbert how are you doing today sir i imagine that your day got a bit better as time went on like like most of ours did yeah that was uh, that was wild we knew that you know we knew that an austin rally extension was going to be coming up maybe not this year i don't think we necessarily thought it might happen this year but probably this off season and you know, you're kind of checking Twitter all day to see if there's any you know, trades are going to pop. And then, I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. I looked at the tweet like three or four times just to make sure it was actually real. I thought somebody was – I thought somebody had pulled out, a you know, an old school uh, burner account on the, on the main account. Um, yeah, to see that was real, 10 years, $212 million, that was that was wild. It absolutely was. And of course, we while we do have multiple things to talk about, we are definitely going to dive into the exciting news of another cornerstone of the franchise. Now for the next decade, Austin Riley has signed a 10-year, $212 million extension. But before we do that, Eric, let's talk a bit about the other actual trade that happened earlier today. Old friend Ira Adrianza is back in Atlanta. Last year, a, a player that it seemed like the fan base certainly enjoyed. We've gotten, you know, notions that the that the organization, his fellow teammates, coaching staff did as well. But Adrianza back with the Braves and, and longtime minor league player Trey Harris finds a new home with Washington. Your thoughts on, on the move to bolster the bench in Atlanta? To be honest, I don't think it moves the needle a whole lot either way. Uh, it was pretty clear that Robinson Cano wasn't going to be the answer to any questions that we wanted answered uh, with the Braves. Uh, he just, you know, he's pretty washed at this point, being 39, and he wasn't didn't look particularly good in the field or at the plate. So they were going to have to make some sort of move probably, you know, whether that – and this sort of move, again, is, is just another death piece, another guy that you have on your bench that you have some – some amount of confidence and familiarity with, uh, especially with Orlando Arcia kind of turning back into a pumpkin. And I, again, it, it's sort of 
<laughs> the only thing that was really frustrating about it for me was just that pe- as soon as that trade got announced, that everyone just assumed that that, that was like the Braves' big move and that they thought that the Braves were going to be done, and which is frankly silly. Um, but again, there's some familiarity with Andrianza. The, the Braves kind of know what they're getting with him. He certainly has some value. It's certainly debatable as to how much of the value that is. But, you know, getting a guy like this at the trade deadline, just to kind of, again, that has seen some success with the team as a bench piece who can play multiple positions. There's no real downside to it. Uh, I am a bit sad to see Trey Harris uh, leave the organization. He's had a tough couple of years, uh, that COVID year where he basically, he wasn't at the alternate site for reasons that I frankly don't understand, but that the, the two years after that, he was already kind of an older, older drafty pro- slash prospect. He needed to be kind of fast tracked and really hit right away to m- make a, 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 I guess get a spot with Atlanta. And unfortunately the last couple of years has been tough, but he's a big personality hilarious guy great for clubhouses just a high energy guy too i hope he kills it but overall you know it's just kind of a at the end of the day where harris's prospect status was he was just you know he wasn't even probably a top 30 guy anymore so at that point you know considering that you're getting a guy that could feasibly help you a little bit down the stretch run here i have no i had i mean it was i considered it a fine trade i certainly didn't think it answered the questions that the braves really needed to answer the deadline though and Stephen, I, I agree with Eric, you know, it, it definitely is, you know, this is a move that, you know, you make it, it's familiarity for the second straight year, you know, he did it with Adam Duvall last year, you know, um, Alex Anthopoulos has gone in and got a guy that was with the Braves the previous year, got him back to come back at the trade deadline. But, you know, I think this answers the question of, okay, we got a guy that can play in multiple positions, but to Eric's point, I certainly don't think that this is the end. This isn't the one move, or at least you think there's probably more to be had. No, this is uh, and we, we got to remember this is not just a here Adrianza. This is world championship winner uh, Adrianza that's coming back to the Braves. Big true, big true. And he, you know, he was God bless him. He was a monster last year at times. I mean, he saved the Braves' bacon. I'm sure people remember, but early on in the season, he had a bunch of pinch hit homers that kind of kept the Braves afloat. Um, he was a really solid bench piece, you know, when the Braves lost pretty much their entire outfield last year, you know, these guys had to step in and, you know, they kind of had, they had to hold the fort down until the trade deadline and Alex could bring in reinforcements. And, you know, everybody remembers Eddie Rosario's three run homer against Walker Buehler in game six of the NLCS, but not as many people remember the fact that Adrianza had the at bat before that and got a double and kept that inning alive. Um, before, you know, for Eddie to hit that kind of memorable home run that helped win that series. And obviously the Braves went on to win a World Series. So it's really cool to have him back. He hasn't had a good year with Washington, um, but he got hurt early in the year. He's been dealing with a quad strain. You know, I think Alex probably knows what what he's got, um, what he can contribute. And like Eric said, he's replacing Robinson Cano on the roster. And, you know, Cano couldn't hit. He couldn't field, couldn't run. So – you know, other than that, he was he was a pretty good contributor. But you know, <laughs> uh, um, a you know, can do a little bit of everything. He's got some versatility. He can play multiple positions. Um, you know, he's a he's a solid depth piece. He's not going to answer any questions, like Eric said. They still got some stuff that they need to figure out. But um, you know, when you get a switch hitter that can play multiple positions and give you some defensive versatility, which obviously Cano wasn't going to do, then you know that that helps. And um, you're certainly not going to lose because of Adrian's. And, you know, you never know. He could help you win a couple of games. 
As uh, David O'Brien of The Athletic pointed out, 14 of 41 with runners in scoring position last year. I believe that's right. And then a 964 OPS as well um, in those situations. So no moment too big, as you you know mentioned, Stephen, you know, several moments last year where Adrianza stood out. Of course, all the latest will be available tomorrow night for fellow Battery Power podcasters, uh, Brad Rowland, as well as Scott Coleman. They'll be doing a, a, a special edition of the Battery Power podcast, reacting to hopefully more moves that the Braves will be making. And they'll be with you tomorrow night into Wednesday with a reaction edition of the Battery Power podcast to the 2022 MLB deadline. But let's get to the reason why we're here. Uh, and excuse me, I, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm speechless. I'm still excited to see this, but Austin Riley, a 10 year, $212 million deal that runs through the 2032 season with a $20 million club option for 2033. He'll make 15 million in 2023, 21 million in 2024 and 22 million over the remainder of the deal. So let, let's open it up, Eric, Stephen. I mean, whoever wants to go first, just your initial reactions, Eric, we'll go with you. I mean, this just, it has to be just a, a great day for you as someone who has followed these guys from start to finish, you know, when it comes to them coming into the organization, but just your initial reactions to just an, an unbelievable development for Austin Riley and the Braves. Yeah, he was definitely on the short list of guys that they really need to consider extending. And, you know, Stephen mentioned it at the top of the show. It's that I just didn't think it was going to be happening this early. It's really hard to buy guys out, uh, for most teams anyway, of those arbitration years. And if you get an extension done, it's like that, you know, that last year before they go, that sort of thing, because they the teams want kind of certainty as to who the player's going to be, and the, the player may or may not want to test the market, and the, the, the offers don't always line up that early on in a, play, a player's career. If a team wants to extend a guy that's early on in arbitration, the number is generally pretty low, uh, and the Braves have been very lucky to sign a couple of guys to those lower numbers. I mean, if you look at Ozzie Albies and Ronald Cooney Jr.'s contracts, the, the, those are heists. Uh, in terms of overall value, but they were able to sign those guys in early in before arbitration. But largely, you don't see these deals done until they're a little bit further along. So I, I was pretty surprised, again, with especially with Dansby hanging over, uh, Max Freed being more, you know, again, he's a more impending question that you have to answer with your roster. Obviously, Dansby is a free agent after this season. So that he that Austin was the extension that was announced first was pretty surprising to me. But again, I mean, I've been following the, this guy since he was drafted out of high school back in 2015. You know, we saw that like he had some kind of stretches where it was like video game like numbers and rookie ball. And we were we were wondering, hey, what is this guy going to be? This is pretty interesting. He was a two way player out of out of high school. A lot of teams thought he was going to be better as a pitcher. Uh, when he was uh, drafted, but the Braves drafted him as a hitter. He hit a bunch of home runs in rookie ball. Had a tough couple of months in, at the start at Rome, but then after that, he kind of went into the – he went wild that second half, and then that was the pattern. It, I mean, he might start a little bit slow, but at every level he started dominating it. And it took a little bit longer in the major leagues, I think, than a lot of fans wanted. It took him a couple of years to kind of find his stride. But the last couple of seasons, you know, we talk a lot about the the big names, you know, whether it be when Freddie was with the team or, you know, obviously Ronnie, Ozzy, but Austin Riley for the last two years has been a big, big part of this Braves team. And to see him locked up along with the rest of this young offensive core for, again, the next, at least through the next, through 2026 at the very least uh, is, you know, you know, concerned with the rest of the core anyway, he's going to be around for longer than that. But it's, it's just, it's really nice to see that the, all the hard work of the scouts and player development paid off so handsomely for the Braves because, as we've seen with a lot of rebuilding, rebuilding efforts, 
that's not always how it goes. And the guys that you bet on sometimes don't work out. Absolutely. And thankfully, you know, so far it, it certainly has. And Stephen, you know, speaking of it working out for one of the first two questions for you, you know, when we talk about it working out for Austin Riley, it, it, the turning point was really April of last year. And even to this point, he struggled a bit to start the season. And then in late May, he really got it going. But we've seen uh, people such as Keith Law and others talk about the adjustments that he made in terms of his approach, you know, to, to each at bat. Just what has really stood out about those adjustments to not only make him now a legitimate MVP candidate, but also the fact that it's been as sustainable as it has been. I mean, all of a sudden in an 18 or 15 month time frame, we're talking about a guy that that's struggling mightily to where he now is, is potentially going to be the NL MVP. What stood out about his adjustments that's been so impressive? Well, there's a bunch of things really. Um, the first, the easiest one to point out is the strikeouts, right? I mean, when he came up in 2019, people remember he came up in 2019. He was, I mean, he looked like Chipper Jones reincarnate. I mean, he was just hot as a firecracker for the first month he was up. And then, you know, the league adjusted to him and everything just became sliders away and sliders away and fastballs up and sliders away. And, you know, for a long time and, a long time. He was kind of stuck in between. You know, he really struggled the rest of 2019. He struggled for the shortened 2020 season. And then the first like three weeks of 2021, he was really struggling. And there was conversations and not just like from panic fans, but legitimate conversations about whether or not he should go back to Gwinnett and try to learn, you know, to try to get this slider fastball stuck in between things figured out. And I'll never forget it. I don't even know why I remember this, but in 2021, the Braves were in New York, uh, like the third week of the season, and Austin was really, really struggling. And the Braves were playing the Yankees, and it was the ninth inning. The Braves were losing three to one, and Austin is up against a Roldis Chapman, which just at the time seemed like the most overmatched matchup you could think of. And Austin just battled. He battled. He fouled off a 102 mile an hour fastball. He fouled a slider after slider after slider fastball. And he worked a walk. And, you know, the Braves didn't win that game. They ended up losing that game. So not a lot of people remember it. But that at bat, I, I even tweeted it at the time I was watching. That was, a, you know, it, it, it was, to me, the best at bat of Austin Riley's career up to that point. And since that day, Austin Riley has been the fifth best player in baseball. Uh, he's been – he's had a – he's got a 151 WRC plus since that game, since that at bat against the Rollis Chapman, where everything just seemed to click. Where he finally learned how to time the fastball. He learned how to time the slider to lay off the one that's off the plate and to time the one that's hung. And you watch him now, if you throw him a hanging slider, he hits it seven miles. I mean, he does not miss that pitch anymore. And – for the longest time, he was early on that pitch, and then he'd be late on the fastball, and he finally figured out the timing, and it's been incredible to watch. I mean, he's legitimately turned himself into one of the best hitters in baseball. I mean, since that since that game in New York in 2021, he's got better offensive numbers than Devers, better offensive numbers than Jose Ramirez, better offensive numbers than Machado. I mean, he's essentially become the best hitting third baseman in baseball, and that's what the Braves paid for, you know. We can talk about the defense, and the defense is still a little bit of a problem at times, but, you know, it's an offensive sport, and, if you, and especially at third base. It's an offensive position, and if you can hit 
and who can, then you're going to get paid. And that's what we saw today. And I'm ecstatic. I mean, the core of the, the, the Braves have locked up, the amount of time they have locked them up, the, the amount of talent they have. It's, I mean, it's best in baseball in terms of how much talent they have locked up on team-friendly deals. So um, very exciting day to be a Braves fan. And then, Eric, the thing that I'll follow up with to that, to Stephen's point, I agree wholeheartedly with him. The fact is, is that if, if you match up the fact that the Braves now have, you know, um, Ronald Acuna Jr., Ozzie Albies, and Austin Riley all locked, locked up at least through 2027, potentially longer as well due to options. The fact that they, you know, it, it speak their core speaks to two things. Number one, for the many years, 17, 18, 19, we're like, when's... Alex Anthopoulos is going to be his Toronto version of himself. When is he, when is he going to make that huge, huge trade? And he didn't. And it could not have paid off better. And then when he finally did, it was to replace, obviously, Freddie Freeman with Matt Olson, who seems like a great get and a great extension as well. So he's finally mixed it together. But this just speaks to those years that all of us, and I'll be the one, I even said it about Riley. I thought that it made sense to use him as a trade chip at times. I'll hold my hand up. I was wrong. But just what does it speak to Alex Anthopoulos about the patience and knowing the organization inside inside and out to be patient and now arguably having the best offensive core for the next half decade to decade in baseball? Well, it's just kind of funny how things work out. And I'll freely admit that I was, you know, and this is coming from someone who that diehard loves prospects and loves them as people and don't want to, I don't want to get rid of any of them really in my heart of hearts, but you know, there's been plenty of times where there's been deals that were presumably on the table where, you know, maybe this was a chance this could happen. Uh, you know, our own Brad Roland, you know, if he had gotten an option early to, you know, trade away Ozzy Albies to a team that actually needed a shortstop, he would have done so in a heartbeat. And that's obviously worked out pretty well for the Braves. So it's, it's, it's a funny thing though, too, because I don't think necessarily that Alex Anthopoulos was completely reluctant to trade prospects. I think what he's really good at, though, is accurately evaluating and putting value on the guys that he has. I think that he would have traded for JT Real Muto, for as an example, and if that deal would have had to include Austin Riley, but he liked Austin Riley. So if they were going to make that deal, he was saying, hey, Austin Riley, plus maybe a couple lesser prospects, and we can make this deal happen. Now, obviously, the Phillies were able to up that, well, quote-unquote, you know, outbid the Braves because they were able to put together a much larger package for him. But that's the importance of these sorts of considerations is that you have to value your prospects correctly. If you want to, to be successful long-term, you have to know, look, I know what I have here, and – I am willing to keep this guy if it means that there's a, a deal that maybe I can't get done because I know that an Austin Riley or a Ronald Acuna Jr. or Max Freed, Mike Soroka, you know, Ian Anderson, these are all guys that I'm certain could have been traded at some point. I think that the window to trade Ronald Acuna Jr. was a very, very small one. <laughs> I think that there was a period of time where maybe he was hitting pretty well, but I don't think that everyone realized quite yet that he was like an all-world talent. But there's times where I think these guys could have been moved, but I think that they knew the guys that they liked and they knew the level of talent they had. And what ends up happening is that when you value guys correctly and you don't make a rush to make a move, 
to move too early when your team's not ready is that it puts you in a really good position, especially when your scouts and your player development are good at their jobs. Um, you know, there's certainly been some misses for the Braves. Every team misses on player development. Everyone misses in the draft. Everyone misses in international free agency. But, you know, considering the situation that Alex came into where, you know, he had a bunch of international free agents that were taken away and the, the, the lower levels of the minor leagues were going to get depleted very quickly, he held on to the right guys and he understood when this team's window was realistically going to be. And as again, as soon as that he needed to pull the trigger and he realized I need to get these guys up. And once he realized that he, the young core that he had, he locked them all up and now he's been able to, and willing to kind of trade from the, the minor league depth that he has. It's, it's all about timing. And a lot of it's just luck at the end of the day, you know, we, we, we could all, it, it could have just have been as just as easy as an example that, when the Braves trade away Joey Wentz to uh, at the trade deadline to just, you know, to, to pick up a reliever at the trade deadline, that's a very talented guy. And he could turn out to be, he could have turned out to be the best, you know, pitcher that the Braves had drafted in the last six years. Right. But they, again, they evaluate, they, they, they value the right guys and they know who they can afford to lose and who they, afford they can't, can't afford to lose. And they, they did those valuations correctly. But at the same time, you know, when luck goes your way, and you have the talent in your system, and you are able to kind of get them all into the major leagues at the same time, what has really separated Alex has been his willingness to bolster the team in the right ways at the right times. And obviously this year, it's been, you know, continue to lock up that young core. And hopefully by the end of tomorrow, it's to continue to try to, you know, continue this run of contention and defend this World Series title. So and, uh, before, one, thing, ahead, one thing I'll add, one thing I'll add to that is, you know, Eric mentioned, you know, you do have to have luck. You know, Austin Riley was on the trading block. I mean, there was an offer out to Miami. Yep. Where it was going to be Austin Riley and a couple of lower-level prospects for JT Real Mutu. And it was Miami's call. Miami had another offer from Philadelphia for um, Aguilar and I think uh, Sixto Sanchez, I think, was who they ended up yep, getting. Yep, it was, it was a Sixto yep. trade, yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so Miami had a, it was Miami's call. Right. And had they called the Braves instead of the Phillies and said, yes, then Austin Riley would be, you know, he'd be a Miami Marlin right now. And so you do have to have luck, you know, um, nobody saw this coming. Even, I, I think even the most ardent of, of Riley supporters are surprised by just how good of a hitter he's become. I mean, he's become elite. You know, I think everybody thought he could be a good hitter, but I mean, he's got a 160 WRC plus this year. That's absurd. That's, that's like Freddie Freeman's never put up that kind of season, just to be clear. Like, oh, or he might have done it in the short 2020 season, but like a full season, you know, he's Freddie's never approached that number. And that's where Austin is right now. And that's, I mean, that's crazy. And so you do have to have luck. And, and and there is a certain amount of irony too, because if you think about the Braves' rebuild, about how focused it was on pitching, and here we are in 2022, you know they've got a World Series title, and the the core of their team is position players, right? I mean they've got Ronnie, they've got Ozzy, they've got uh, Austin now, and, and Matt Olson, and you know we'll see what they do with Dansby, but and then obviously you've got Michael Harris on top of that, so and William Contreras, so you know. For as much time and money and effort as they they poured into pitching, 
during the rebuild, you know, the core of this team and the future of this team, while they still have some very good pitchers, obviously, don't get me wrong, I mean, Max Fried and Kyle Wright and such, but they have got an unbelievable stable of position players that are young, locked up, and can help the Braves win for a long time. So, Yeah, and Eric, I, Stephen brings up a great point. That's exactly what I was going to throw out your way. It was the irony in that of, you know, you were there covering the minor leagues uh, during the copy years when he was, you know, piling up the arms, piling up the arms. You know, it was historic, the depth that the Braves had when it came to the arm talent in their system. But yet we, they, we also did a pretty good job of building up some, you know, intriguing offensive talents. And that's the way that it seems that it's been trending in baseball. It's it's the bats in the bullpen. That's what's one of the World Series last year. You've you've seen the Astros offense, the Cubs offense, Red Sox, Dodgers offense be reasons why they won World Series, Braves last year. But the fact that Alex Anthopoulos quickly realized this is what's going to keep us in contention for years to come. It was great to see, once again, the patience, but also the focus on the offense. And when he did make the big trade, it was to add to that offense and getting Matt Olson. He definitely seemed to make a good, good decision in investing in that core when it comes to the long-term future for the Braves? Well, I think that there's a couple of things there. One is that, you know, again, kind of what Steven alluded to is that, you know, getting the right guys in your system. I mean, a lot of these guys weren't, you know, they weren't Alex Anthopoulos guys to begin with. This was, you know, even going back to like the Frank Wren years to, you know, when copy was around, this is the talent that was in the system and they made the, some correct calls in terms of the guys that they liked offensively and you know you get a little lucky i mean it's not like they paid william Contreras some one million dollar bonus out of international free agency he was a ten thousand dollar guy acuna was a few hundred thousand dollars i mean that's i can't remember the exact signing figure on acuna right now but i mean he wasn't like the big time ifa guy neither was ozzy and i mean austin riley was the 41st overall pick and again most teams thought he was going to be a pitcher and it turns out that he turns kind of an all-world guy you get a little bit lucky on the offensive side but with pitching particularly, uh, and you can either be bullpen or starters, that's the most volatile asset in all of baseball. And you have to have a lot of them because so many, they'll, they'll blow out an arm, they'll blow out a shoulder, they, they won't develop the way you think they're going to, maybe it takes longer, maybe they never get that third pitch, maybe they can never command their pitches, you know, maybe, you know, like, I'm certain that even the changes to the composition of the baseball that is used right now has cost guys, like, a number of guys, not just in the Braves system, but just overall in baseball, it's costing their careers because they were used to throwing their pitches a certain way and could command it a certain way. And the baseball was different. The seams were different. There's their, their pitches had different action on them. You know, just, just changes in how the game is played batting, you know, hitters approach, what, what pitches matter and when and all this other stuff. There's so much volatility from just health to how the game is played in pitching that you need to have a whole lot of them to pay off. And, you know, early on, they, they got an injured Max Freed, brought him into the organization in a trade from the Padres. They draft Ian Anderson, who was probably the, I would get, if you kind of remember, depends on the list, but you're looking at maybe the 10th or 12th best prospect in that draft. And then they draft him third overall to do underslot. And that gives them Kyle Muller, who's still a very good prospect in the brave system. He's just banged up right now. And then Joey Wentz, who was a guy that you traded away to help you out the trade deadline to get the reliever you needed. And you always need arms. You always do. The failure rate on the pitching side is so high. That's why you have to draft so many of them. You have to bring so much into your system. And that didn't change this year. They've, they've, other, than the, other than the, especially early on in drafts, 
other than the 2019 draft where they went and got Shea Langoliers and Braden Shoemake, who won – Braden Shoemake sued with the organization. He's not playing very well. And then they obviously traded Shea Langoliers in the Matt Olson trade. But they've continued to add pitching. And that's not necessarily a failure on their part, I don't think. They keep adding guys that have been, you know, again, Kyle Wright has, it took him a while, but it, they, he's turned into a very useful piece. They still have Kyle Muller in the system. Jared Schuster has just got his maze way to Gwinnett. You know, Bryce Elder, Spencer Strider went from, you know, not b- barely pitching at all and starting the season off at low A in last year. And he made it all the way to the majors as a fourth round pick in a five round draft. You know, they, they they're, <laughs> you, you just have, you have to take your shots. You really have to trust your scouts and your, you have to kind of have a very set sort of what do we need for our system to be successful in the major leagues and what guys do we think we can get some value from because it hasn't been always the big names that have paid off for the Braves. Again, Spencer Strider is kind of a classic example here of a guy who no one was particularly certain he was even going to get picked in a five round draft. And he ended up getting picked out of Clemson and he ends up being, you know, a rookie of the rookie of the year front runner. So and they still pick more arms this year. It's just at the end of the day, when you center a rebuild around pitching, you still have to get the the offensive side right. And they were very fortunate to kind of have the the right guys in their farm system as that as that re- rebuild commenced. But at the end of the day, it's about keeping that pe- that pitching pipeline coming and eventually picking up some guys that can help you. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Absolutely, and, and and I agree with you. You know, it, it's about making the right calls, but uh, to, to your point, luck has a lot to do with it. Whenever you see a successful rebuild in any type of sports, luck certainly has a lot to do with it. Uh, but, Stephen, you know, let, let's focus a bit on the extension now. So, you know, before the season, we saw Jose Ramirez, who, you know, significantly more proven hitter, you know, older, you know, in terms of where he is in his career, five years, $124 million as a third baseman. Jordan Alvarez, earlier in the summer, signed a six-year, $115 million dollar extension just a couple of examples you know if the Braves thought about it could they go 6 125 750 but instead the Braves go 10 years 212 million you brought up a very good point in that you know the 10 years you know think what you will about it but you know it, it's the low overall average annual value that really stands out does that really make you excited about this deal do, do, or do you at all wince at the fact that now when you look at Olsen and Austin Riley you've got a combined $390 million locked in for the future for your two corner guys. Is there any risk that stands out to you or is it the fact of the cost savings per year that really makes these likely bargains that you should be ecstatic over? Well, 
I mean, there's always risk. There's no, there's no such thing as, I mean, unless you're signing a guy for a league minimum, you know, there's really no such thing as risk-free. I mean, you know, God forbid Austin could get hurt or something and not be the same player. And then you're on the hook for a ton of money, but you know, and you, you can't really predict injuries obviously. So it's not really something you can um, be afraid of, but just on the merits of the deal, this is a, this falls into the category of a team friendly deal. And it's, it might be tough for people to wrap their heads around that because it's $212 million, which is obviously a ton of money. It's 10 years, which is a ton of years, but the easiest way to think about this deal is actually as a three, a three plus seven. So Austin Riley had three more years of arbitration and because arbitration is a pretty set process, we, we kind of know what he would have made in that process um, because he was a super two guy. He came up in May of his rookie year. He actually got four years of arbitration versus three. This was his first year of arbitration 2022. And then he would have had three more. And we kind of know that he would have been about, 40 to $50 million for those three years of arbitration. And so if you subtract that from the contract that he just got, um, it, get, it, it lowers it to about seven one sixty eight. I think is what it comes out to, which is almost exactly what Matt Olson just signed for, by the way. Um, and it's hilarious how similar the two contracts are. Uh, if you just look at $15 million in the first year, $21 million in the second year, $22 million every year after that, and a $20 million club option at the end. That's exactly what Matt Olson's contract was too. Um, but if you just look at that, six years or seven years, 167, that's what the Braves basically paid Austin Riley for his free agent years. That's a steal. I mean, that's $23 million a year. Elite position players are making 35 30, $35 million a year. I mean, Anthony Rendon is making $35 million for the next like five years on his contract. And, you know, Austin Riley is making 22 million at the most at any point. So yes, is there risk? Of course there's risk, just like with Olsen's deal, you know, if they get hurt or if this the performance drops to a certain amount, you know, there is risk in having both the deals at the same time, because obviously if Austin, something physically happens to Austin, you can't move him over to first because Matt Olson is already there. But, you know, the DH does mitigate that a little bit. You know, Ozuna's not going to be on the team forever. And if they did have to move one of these guys to the DH near the end, it's not the end of the world. But I, only the most cynical view of this deal would, would look at it as, a, as too much risk. This is, by every measure that we use, a very team-friendly deal. Um, because you just you typically don't you typically can't lock up guys free agent years that are this good for you know 20 22 million dollars a year i mean guys like eric said earlier you know guys typically wait till they're a little closer to free agency and then they ask for market value for their deal or they're going to go to free agency and because austin signed so early you know he he kind of traded a little bit more money on the the top of his contract for obviously long-term financial um, security right now. And that's, that's why this deal got done. You know, both sides got what they wanted. Austin is set for life and the Braves got incredible value by not having to pay market value for Austin's free agent. Years. And so this is definitely a team friendly deal. It's, you know, Braves fans aren't used to it because they're not used to seeing contracts this big, this long, but in today's game, 
you know, with the way money is flowing, the Braves have been printing money for over a year now, or almost exactly a year now. Um, this is really not that much money. I mean, $22 million a year is, I mean, that's, I know that sounds like a lot of money, but that's, that's like the qualifying offer is almost $20 million a year. I mean, there, there are guys way worse than Austin Riley making $20 million a year. And so it sounds like a big number to a lot of people, but it's really a steal. And if he performs anywhere close to the level that he's performed at these last two years, then there's not going to be a single year in this contract where the Braves wish they were paying Austin Riley less money. Because it's, it's not that much to, in terms of his production that he has to do to equal that value. So there's risk, but this is certainly a team-friendly deal. And if my memory serves me correct, and Eric or Eric or Stephen correct me if I'm wrong, I believe that when Freddie Freeman's contract ended last year, that ended the contract that was the biggest singular commitment to a player in Braves franchise history, which was 135 million. And in the matter of what five months, they've set a new record by 33 extra million with 168 now committed to Matt Olson, and then they topped that by 44 million with 212 committed to Austin Riley. So Braves are definitely swimming in some more money than than they're used to. But and Eric and Stephen, we'll start with you, Eric. We're going to open this up. Going to put you on the spot a little bit. So we've got these team friendly deals, and you know Acuna and Albies and, and Matt Olson and Austin Riley. The Braves do have a couple of other names out there that over the next six to 12 months, you know, hey, definitely could see them potentially get an extension. So, Eric, we'll start with you when it comes to the next potential Braves extension in terms of a relevant, significant player right now on the roster. Who is it? When might it be? How long do you think it'll be for? So this is where it gets a little tricky, right? And uh, I mean, I know that, like, for example, like I know that Stephen even tweeted earlier that this doesn't make a Dansby Swanson extension more or less likely. I'm not sure it helps the cause because it's just at the end of the day, someone else got paid than he, than he and he didn't. Right. But um, the, the, one of the more fascinating kind of reports that's come out of this extension actually came from Mark Bowman, where he said that the Braves envisioned themselves heading towards being a top five payroll in baseball. Now to put that in perspective, depending on the way you look at it in terms of whether it's like the, what the active roster payroll is or what the, the CBT actual number ends up being. But, you know, if you're looking at the active roster as an example, if you're going to spot track right now and see how much time, how much money the Braves have committed and where they're ranked right now, they're a top 10 team uh, in that hundred. If I remember memory serves somewhere in the $178 million range right now to be in the top five, that would be a $220 million roughly. Again, this is kind of just a rough estimate. It ultimately depends on what the other teams spend and what other team, you know, what other decisions are made around the league. A lot of the, a lot of this, the Braves can't really decide for them. But $220 million payroll is a very hefty payroll. And again, a rough look at what the Braves have committed for next year. If you kind of try to eyeball some arbitration estimates, you have somewhere committed assuming that both Charlie Morton and Will Smith are not under contract next year, which is an important consideration that they're committed for around 115, $120 million, roughly. That means that for their payroll next year to get to a top five payroll, they could add hundred million dollars. And that's with the Austin Riley extension. So the short answer to your question is I certainly think they are having these conversations uh, with Dansby Swanson, Max Freed, you know, the other guys that are that, 
that they may want to keep around. You know, again, extending pitchers is a little bit trickier than hitters, and it's just, that's just the way it has always been. It's almost like you have to be 36 years old and never get, gotten hurt to actually get a, like a, a more a more significant financial investment. But, you know, instead of a young guy, because then you always worry that something's going to happen where you sign a guy to a $120 million deal, and then he blows his arm out and he's gone for two years. I think these conversations are happening right now. It sounds like that the, the reporting was is that what, after the trade deadline, happens that there is going to be more substantive conversations and offers given the Dansby Swanson, who's kind of the, the, the elephant in the room right now in terms of, you know, what they would be willing to extend him for. I have some, a bit of skepticism on that front. One is that the, there are some short steps that could feasibly be available that would give the Braves some options that they don't necessarily feel like they have to give Dansby everything that he wants on his next contract. And two, and again, this is maybe more tinfoil conspiracy hat, conspiracy theory type stuff, but Dansby Swanson has the same agent as Freddie Freeman. And that saga between the Braves and Casey Close, I don't think is over in terms of just kind of that that bad blood and things like that. And does that mean, does that impact what the Braves and how they can negotiate with Dansby right now? I I I have some skepticism about Dansby external from what Austin has signed for. I don't think that's what necessarily impacts whether or not Dansby comes back. It's what Dansby's expectations are combined with kind of the state of those negotiations. But Mark Bowman does not say something like, you know, the Braves are willing to push their payroll up and say something like a top five payroll. He doesn't say things like that idly. He's, he heard that somewhere. And if that's the case, then, I mean, there's no reason to think that the Braves won't extend all the guys that you'd want to extend and bring in some more players to help them out too. So it's an exciting time to be a Braves fan. You know, obviously, like Stephen said, the, you know, the battery's printing money, the team's printing money. It's sold out homestand after sold out homestand. Um, I, I think one of the most brilliant marketing things they did was just to continue to create more and more of those world series ring giveaway nights and just spread them out throughout the whole year. The truce has been packed. The team's been good. The team's going to be good for a while. Um, you can never say how good at the end of the day, it's still baseball sports are, you know, weird things happen in sports. Sometimes I don't think they're going to win a world series every year, but they're going to be competitive for a long time. And if that's the case, they're going to be making money for a long time. And I think their bridge are going to be real players with their payroll going forward. And Steven, even though go go ahead. Sorry, I was going to jump in on the extension conversation. Um, So the obvious name is Max Freed, right? Because Max is, I think Max has got two more years of team control. I think he's a free agent in 2025. So that's the obvious name of extension talk. But like Eric said, extending a pitcher and extending a position player are two completely different conversations. And, you know, there's just so much more risk with a pitcher. And Max is kind of an older pitcher. You know, he got a kind of a late start and he was in the minors for a while. And, you know, his first year of free agency or his last year under team control is his age 30 season. Right. And, you know, pitchers are dangerous and pitchers over 30 are even more dangerous. And so what they do with Max is going to be fascinating. Obviously, they have to make a call immediately with Dansby. Um, You know, I think payroll is going to go up a pretty hefty amount next year. And like Eric said, you know, you got Charlie probably coming off the books. You got Will Smith coming off the books. You got Adam Duvall's 10 million coming off the books. Um, There's going to be a substantial amount of money to play with. And 
you know, Dansby's not going to sign an extension. He's too close to free agency. He's going to, he's going to test the open market. Um, but what do they do at shortstop? It's going to answer a lot of questions because, you know, they don't really have much else to, to spend on, you know, Strider and Wright are so young that though, you know, they can wait a while on that. Even Ian, Ian Anderson is still pretty young. Um, you know, so it's really Max Freed and shortstop are the two big decisions they have to make coming up. And, you know, with Dansby, it's going to be fascinating because they're really going to have to decide would they rather pay Dansby 20 plus million because that's what he's going to command or would they rather pay somebody like Trey Turner, you know, 28, 30 million a year um, because that's what he's going to command. And if you have the money to spend, you know, Trey Turner definitely has the longer track record in terms of being successful versus this is kind of Dansby's first year of putting it all together. So I'm actually pretty fascinated. There were some talks about the Braves being interested maybe in Carlos Correa in the offseason. Um, so I do think the Braves are going to be pretty big players at shortstop in the offseason just because that is the big position they need to fill. There's some big, big names that are coming uh, up for free agency. But – you know, in terms of extension, the, the, the obvious answer is max. Unless they go – unless they try to get some crazy cheap extension done with Michael Harris, you know, they could always try to do kind of like an Evan Longoria deal where you lock him up super, super early. Um, they could do that with Contreras, I guess, if they wanted to. Um, I think they are going to probably restructure Ronnie's contract at some point. Um, you know, he signed that crazy team-friendly deal and – I think once he gets back to being 100% and, and looking like Ronnie again, I think they will open that contract back up and, and renegotiate it and, and get him a little bit more money. Uh, but Max Fried is the obvious choice. But shortstop is going to be the where we get a lot of questions answered because, you know, shortstop is arguably the most important position in the game. It's the position where players get paid the most. And – what they do at shortstop this winter will tell us a lot about where they are financially. And if there's a, a year for the shortstop position for you to have open money to be able to spend, it definitely is coming up this off season. So a, a lot of fun, you know, talking about the fact that another addition is there for the long term for the Braves. But you know, hey, we're talking about the long term. Let's get a little bit more of a narrow focus. Let's go the next twenty four hours. Going to kind of do a little bit of a lightning round here. With it, we'll start with you, Stephen. Uh, you know, what are your thoughts about you know potentially you know moves you could see the Braves making tomorrow? I liked your idea. I would have been perfectly satisfied um, with you know something we talked in the chat about your idea, Merrill Kelly, maybe with the uh, Jordan. I believe it's Luplau, the uh, the outfielder from the Arizona Diamondbacks, starting pitcher who was excellent on Sunday. I'd love to see a combination like that, but I'll, I'll open it up to both you and Eric, just a, a predictions. If you want to go names, that's fine. But just some, some thoughts about uh, the next uh, uh, several hours when it comes to the 2022 MLB trade deadline. Yeah. Um, I'd be shocked if the Braves don't add a right-handed outfielder. I think that's a clear need after the Duvall injury. I don't think they're going to trust Heredia to be that guy, you know, in September and October. So our right-handed outfielder, I think, is probably number one on the list. You know, just some names that make sense. You know, Liriano for Oakland, um, Kike Hernandez in Boston. If Boston ends up selling, Jordan Luplow, like you said, from Arizona makes a lot of sense. Austin Slater from San Francisco makes some sense. There are guys, I mean, right-handed outfielders, like we learned last year at the deadline, 
you know, right-handed outfielders are actually pretty easy to find um, just because there's a lot of them and there's a lot of guys that hit lefties well. And so there's a bunch of names, which is good for Alex because the Braves don't have, you know, the Braves don't have a ton of prospect capital and, um, you know, finding guys that aren't necessarily the most wanted guys might be key, but they're definitely going to get a right-handed outfielder, I think, before tomorrow. The question is going to be, do they get a starter? Because that's, you know, and do they get a reliever? Because Alex always gets relievers. But, you know, what do they do on the pitching side? Starters and, and relievers are so expensive, and there's not that many of them. So it's it's a lot easier to upgrade your offense at the deadline than it is your pitching staff. And so I think they'll definitely get a right-handed outfielder. Pitching is a little bit more of a question, in my opinion. Eric? Yeah, I, I tend to agree with that. The, I mean, I think an outfielder is kind of the easy guess. Um, I think that the, the names that Steven mentioned are certainly in play. I'm going to add Michael Taylor to that list. Uh, yeah. I, I completely and understand any skepticism about whether or not his bat plays uh, because he is certainly a uh, – he hasn't exactly had the best track record with the bat, but he's had a good offensive year this year. And that guy can flat out defend. And the considering some of the, you know, the, the <laughs> some of the defensive alignments that the Braves have had to employ in the outfield this year, it would be a very marked difference when you have like a Michael Taylor, Michael Harris, Ronald Acuna Jr. outfield out there versus what they've had to run out there. And I think that he would have some value. And I don't think he would be particularly costly either, which is kind of an important thing. I don't think he's going to cost a ton of, prospect capital it's also with a team that the Braves have already dealt with this year so there's some familiarity the Royals know what the Braves have to offer and what top players they like in their farm system you know they probably already had conversations about guys that were in that that draft pick deal that you know they know who the Royals like and maybe they can start a conversation there um I I like Lariano as an option you know the the Joey Gallo stuff that we've heard one you know they probably want a guy that's a right they probably want a right-handed guy I I'm not necessarily of the opinion that it has to be a right-handed hitter per se, but it would certainly help the cause with Eddie Rosario kind of being a lefty and I mean, having that kind of platoon option seems good, but you know, you'd have to be pretty sure about Gallo right right now. I mean, what Joey Gallo does really well is very volatile. The way that he does it is that he doesn't hit the ball very much, but when he does, he hits it about 700 feet. Um, You know, you, you're kind of looking at like a left-handed Jorge Soler type numbers, uh, this year. So, you know, maybe that portends well, but again, what can, what kind of deal do you get with the Yankees? Is that the, really the move you want to make? Do you have to put actual, some real prospect capital to make that happen is unclear. Um, I think that they do. I think that they add three players tomorrow. I think that they'll add an outfielder. Uh, I, I th- again, I think Stevens Wright's probably going to be a righty, but it doesn't have to be necessarily. Uh, I, for example, I don't think anyone would be upset if Jock Peterson ended up back in this lineup again, either. Uh, I just don't think that the San Francisco is kind of in a weird spot where they're kind of sort of still hanging around in there and he's been their best offensive player or at least one of them. So I don't necessarily think they would, they, they, they sold that would be, I think he, I think Jock might be pricey to try to pry them away and convince the giants that the, this year just isn't their year. Um, I do think that they, they I just think he's going to add a reliever. I couldn't, I can't hazard a guess as to what the, that reliever is going to be um, that there's just, there's so again, that, we always try to guess what the relievers, you know, there's always like the top five guys in the market. And we try to think, you know, like, would this be a good fit for the Braves bullpen or whatever? And then, you know, Anthopolis finds a guy that's on a 40 man roster somewhere that they like and have good data on and they bring him in and they do well, or a guy who's like on the injured list, but is about to come back and he grabs them or something like that. Right. So I've kind of given up trying to, you know, guess which relievers 
the the British front office is keying in on. I, I certainly think they'll add one. I just don't know. I could. I, I don't think it's going to be a big name guy. I think that this might add another arm just to kind of you know fill things out. Maybe a guy that even can stash, you know, in Gwinnett for a while um, until they have to figure out exactly who they need to have on their roster. Uh, and I also think they do add a starter. Uh, the the issue here with starting pitching is again. Starting pitching is expensive at the trade deadline. That's what everyone wants. That's, you know, that that's where the attrition happens. And it's kind of what I was talking about earlier is that pitching is most volatile, you know, asset in baseball. And this is the time of year when people teams figure out like, Hey, we're in the, the hunt, but you know, one of our guys is on Tom is having Tommy John. The other guy has a really solar shoulder and we're not sure how long he, how much longer he's going to last. We need another arm. And a lot of teams are in contention and a lot of teams are going to be wanting to kind of get that depth. So the, the big names, I think, are going to be a little bit tough. Uh, Merrill Kelly's an interesting name. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if the Braves kicked the tires on Noah Syndergaard, as an example, kind of a buy-low type guy. Uh, he's not been good in, in L.A., but Alex Antopoulos is very familiar with him. He's also a guy that, you know, he, he, he has dealings with Perry Manasian in the, in the past. You know, that those are two – there's a working relationship there at least in theory. And they, there's a lot of stuff about Noah Syndergaard's physical and kind of, you know, his peripherals are a little bit spooky this year, but in terms of pure raw stuff, when he's right, you probably couldn't add a better guy than Noah Syndergaard. I just don't know if that's the option that would be available to him. If, if that guy, the good version of Noah Syndergaard is actually going to be the one that you'd get in that trade and how much it would cost to bring him in. So it kind of a really fascinating trade deadline. Again, I, I, I think there's multiple moves in the offering, for the Braves, I just it's hard to put put names right now because there's so many teams kind of sort of in contention right now with these extra wild card spots that you know which teams are deciding hey we're maybe we're playing a little bit above our heads let's you know let's reset and you know get some young guys for the future whereas the other teams are like hey maybe we need we can add a guy and maybe we can sneak in and get a wild card spot and get into the playoffs and it's hard to peg a lot of those teams right now and some of the teams that are bad have been bad for a long time and there's only so much more you can more more guys that they can sell off to you know end up making much sense and I, yeah. I think the uh, i think the big name if you're looking if you're a Bryce fan hoping for a, a a splash tomorrow the big name to watch out for i think is ian Happ of chicago yeah uh, that'd be a good one just because he's he, he checks a lot of boxes and he's actually somebody that you could potentially play every day versus being a platoon guy. And, and then you could potentially platoon Rosario and Ozuna. Um, and you would never have to have either one of those guys in the field that that by itself solves a lot of problems. And it's, it's also less Marcelo Ozuna. Um, and so I don't, I, while I think it could be a right-handed outfielder and Chris and I talked about this on our last show, but I think there's also a decent chance the Braves go, sort of big and try to maybe go get an everyday outfielder so that they can kind of leave Ozuna and Rosario to DH. And I, I think that's probably best for everyone at this point. But, yeah, Ian Happ, is, if you're hoping for kind of a splash tomorrow, and I think there's a decent chance they do something kind of big. Um, it could only be one move because they don't just don't have a ton of prospects. But um, if you're looking for a splash, I think Ian Happ might be the name. 
Yeah, uh, and and for all that Alex Anthopoulos has done right, and not really putting this on him, but you know his history of adding pitching mid-season is is kind of spotty. You know, the, of course they signed a Dallas Keuchel, I believe it was in the summer of 2019. They traded for Kevin Gosman, who they identified as, hey, if they could get him out of Baltimore, he may be able to blossom. Well, it just happened after he left Atlanta, and then of course Eric Cole's favorite deal of all time, the acquisition of Tommy Malone during the 2020 trade deadline. Oh, why are you trying to? <laughs> get me heat why are you trying to get me upset I, 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 I was in such a great mood and then we have to go uh, I'm heated all joking aside figured we'd have a, a little bit of fun but uh Eric Stephen before we head out it, it's been a lot of fun getting to talk with y'all I always enjoy catching up and getting to talk Braves anything else before we head out and uh you know, it's been great talking with y'all and hopefully we'll have plenty more to talk about um, over the next uh, few days after some action over the next 24 hours yeah, no, just thanks to both of you. Uh, we, you know, it, it's kind of funny. We we knew that whenever we make plans for the podcast, you know, Brad's out of town and we're like, you know, we'll just, we'll, we'll be on this schedule. Everything will work out fine. We, I was supposed to record Road to Atlanta. Uh, I apologize to all the, the listeners of Road to Atlanta that we weren't able to record tonight. Uh, but at the same time, you know, the best laid plans of mice and men don't, you know, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera, don't really work out. So, you know, just, you know, hat tip to you guys for jumping in making sure we can make this podcast happen. Uh, it's been a fun day to be sure. It's going to be a hectic and fun day tomorrow. So just make sure you're, if you're listening to this podcast, make sure you're subscribed to the podcast because Brad and Scott are going to be at it again tomorrow to, you know, wrap up what's going on at the trade deadline you know, make sure you're going to the site and make sure you're following Steven and Sean on Twitter because they're really, really good Twitter follows, especially if you're in Sean's case, especially if you're a Grizzlies fan. Yeah. And I'll just add to that. Um, tomorrow's tomorrow should be fun. The Braves are going to be active. Alex is always active. Um, you know, the team's in a better spot than they were in last year. And so, you know, it might not be, you know, the volume that we saw last year, but I think there's one or two impact moves that Alex could definitely make tomorrow and so definitely stay tuned you know we've got a ton of content obviously we'll have a podcast again tomorrow night it'll be scott and uh, brad covering everything that happens in the trade deadline but yeah it's a big day to be a brace fan you know the austin rally extension is just monster news there's no other way to describe it and you know it sets this team up for years to come so make sure you're subscribed to the network make sure you check out the site we've just got so much content it's just pouring out these days but yeah Check it, check it all out. And I'll just echo what Eric and Steven uh, said. These two are two of the brightest minds and just good dudes as well, but two of the brightest minds when it comes to talking Braves baseball. Love any chance that I get to speak to them, but there's so much coming up, right? We've got the podcast tomorrow with Brad and Scott reacting to the trade deadline. Eric and the Road to Atlanta crew will obviously break down what prospects may be involved in the trades that the Braves are sending out. What could that mean for the farm system? Steven Tolbert and Chris Willis, they obviously have their new podcast, which breaks down a lot of different perspectives when it comes to what's relevant to the Braves. And then let's not forget, we're talking about all these things that are happening off the field, but starting tomorrow, the Braves are going to have seven games over six days against two teams right now that are in playoff contention, the Phillies who are playing really good baseball. And then of course, five games in four days with the Mets. We'll have all those breakdowns for you on the hammer. So a lot going on. You can find Eric Cole at Leprechaun on Twitter. You can find Stephen Tolbert at B underscore outline. The uh, Battery Power Podcast, Daily Hammer, Road to Atlanta Podcast, 
Great new podcast with Stephen and Chris all at BatteryPower.com, at BatteryPowerSP, and across all forms of social media and free on all podcast platforms. For Stephen Tolbert and Eric Cole, my name's Sean Coleman. Go Braves. We'll talk to you again soon here on the Battery Power Podcast Network. (laughs) 